Well, last year, Tom Hanks, one of my favorite actors, starred in a movie called A Hologram for the King. And in the movie, he played a middle-aged American businessman who is sent to Saudi Arabia for a special project. And the movie tackles an important issue that we all face. No matter what we've done or how much we've accomplished, there still comes a point when we all ask, how did I get here? How did I get to where I am now? And in an interview, Hank said that he felt particularly connected to this character's sense of self-doubt. Here's what he said. No matter what we've done, there comes a point where you think, how did I get here? When are they going to discover that I am, in fact, a fraud and take everything away from me? Hank said that he still finds himself doubting his own abilities. He put it this way, it's a high wire act that we all walk. There are days when I know that three o'clock tomorrow afternoon, I'm going to have to deliver some degree of emotional goods. And if I can't do it, that means I'm going to have to fake it. If I fake it, that means they might catch me faking it. And if they catch me faking it, well then it's just doomsday. It's a pretty powerful thing to hear from someone as successful as Tom Hanks. But I think he's admitting something that all of us are struggling with more and more today. And in particular, I think something that men are struggling with more and more today. Do I have enough of what it takes to deliver? Or am I going to be found out to be a fraud? What if others find out that I'm faking it, that I am a fraud? What if they find out that I'm worried about them finding out that I'm faking it or I'm a fraud? What if they find out I don't know what I'm doing? On top of those questions that so many of us are facing comes parenthood, fatherhood. And for those of you who are parents, maybe you live with those kinds of thoughts and questions every day. Do I know what I'm doing? Do, Do my kids see through me? Does my teenage daughter or son respect me at all? All parents at some point deal with those questions. And as a young dad myself, I'm wrestling and dealing with those questions on a day out, day in, day out basis. And so today, today I want to talk to dads, of course, on Father's Day. But I also want to say two things I hope will be uh, helpful to all of us. That first, this is not only for dads. That hopefully what we'll talk about this morning about godly fatherhood has much to say to those of you who are single, to you women, to men of all ages, to men who are married but do not have children. Hopefully there's something for all of us, so stick in there with me this morning. And second, this is not only for young fathers. This is for fathers of every age. Some of you are parenting adult children now, and the questions of how to parent an adult child are different. It's a different dynamic than young children. Some of you are trying to restore or figure out the relationship with your adult children now or make it better, and I hope this will be for you as well. But the big question I want us to ask this morning is, what does it mean to be a godly father? What does it mean to be a godly father? And of course, I want to try to answer that by turning our attention to God himself, 
contemplating who he is and what the Holy Spirit has revealed to us in the scriptures. Because ultimately, we learn the characteristics of godly fatherhood when we learn the characteristics of God himself. That's where we go. We learn what it means to be a godly father by looking at God's character, God himself. So if you have a Bible this morning or if you want to look at the screens, we're going to turn to Psalm 127. And um, from this short psalm, Psalm 127, I want us to see what I'm calling the four callings of godly fatherhood. Four things that godly fathers are called to do. And these four callings flow directly out of the very character of God himself. All right? So let's start. First, godly fathers are called to build. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. I'll read it again. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Right there in that short sentence, the psalmist gives us a vision of how we are to approach our lives with God, that as men and women created by God, we're all given uh, talents, we're given uh, gifts, and we're called into becoming a part of God's work in the world, to build things, to create things, and then to honor him in the things that we build and create. But in the same sentence, the psalmist is also pointing out the shadow side of this, the shadow side of this great gift, that we have this tendency as sinful humans to build the house with our own power. Unless the Lord builds, the labor is done in vain. Our tendency, of course, is to want to do that on our own power, to build it ourselves. In fact, that's What's at the root of the very first sin when Adam and Eve decide for themselves to kind of define what they could and what they could not do. And that's where the bad news of the gospel message begins. That all of us live with this built-in tendency, this selfish tendency to want to go out on our own with our gifts, with our talents that God has given us, and build our lives in the shape that we want. The problem is, the psalmist says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders build in vain. It simply won't work. And there's an example of this in the Bible. Early in the book of Genesis, we read about this city called Babel. And there men and women are literally building a tower up into the heavens, up to the sky as big and as large as they can make it as the symbol of their own achievement, of their own power. And they actually say as they're building it, we are building this tower so that we can make a name for ourselves. And so God lets them build for a while. But then he intervenes and he scatters them, stopping their attempt to make a name for themselves, to build and build, to put themselves in the place of God. We all have a desire to build. It's part of who we are. We all have this tendency to want to build on our own. It's part of what sin's role in our life has done. 
throughout my whole life, my father, who's going to actually be retiring in the next few uh, months from the ministry, uh, has been restoring classic cars as his hobby. I've watched him do it. I've, he's restored many, many cars, won many awards. He's very good at it. Um, and as a, as a young kid, you know, sometimes you, you grab onto the things that your dad is, is doing, and I remember being very interested in what he was doing, um, but it just never kind of grabbed my heart. It wasn't something that I wanted to do necessarily all the time. I kind of knew what he was doing and watching it. I thought it was cool, but it just wasn't something I was that into. But my son, my five-year-old son, you can't get him out of the garage with my dad, his papa. He will turn the wrenches, he'll get dirty. He wants to build, build, build. Whatever it is, if building's involved, my son is there. And for a man, for fathers, for boys, building is a part of who we are. It's wired into us. It's part of how God has designed us. And I believe wholeheartedly that God has designed us as fathers to build for our families. That is one of the callings of godly fatherhood, to build for our families. We provide, we take care of our families, we build a life in which our family is secure and growing well, but as dads, we're also dealing with this shadow side, this temptation to want to build for ourselves, for our own names, to build a life where we have way more than enough money or way more than enough achievement or acclaim. And before we realize it, get into our middle age, perhaps later in life, we look back and we, we see that we've built a house under our own power, on our own. And so yes, godly fathers are called to build for their families. It's part of the responsibility that you take on as a father. But first, first and foremost, a godly father is called to watch the Lord build, to join what the Lord is building in us and in our families, to take our cues from him. That's how we build. And we're not just building financially or building security for our families. Godly fathers are also called to build up their children. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6 writes this. He says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Now, exasperate's not a word that we use often today, but it literally means to irritate or provoke, right? Dads, we have this tendency to kind of want to burden our children by being overbearing or inconsistent or angry. Godly fathers, instead, are called to bring up their children, to build up their children in the Lord. And almost always, that is going to mean building them up with encouragement. Godly fathers are called to encourage their children. And it can be easy to lose sight of this calling to encouragement when we're trying to build. We're trying to build for our families. We're trying to do all that we can to give them what is necessary. We build and we build 
But what God calls fathers to is to build with him, to build with the Lord, to build our kids up with encouragement so that we do not build or labor in vain. That's the first calling of godly fatherhood. But the second calling of godly fatherhood from Psalm 127 is being called to protect. Called to protect. Look at verse 1 again. The psalmist says, Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand in vain. Now this may seem obvious. A big part of being a father is the calling to protect, to guide our families, our children safely through the world. And today we're living in an ever more complicated world. It's becoming trickier to do that, to try to find out how we're going to protect well, where there's a constant media presence in our children's lives, and we're having to adjust to that. I'm having to adjust to that. You're going to have to adjust to that. And the reality is, our kids are adjusting to that way faster than we are. And so this burden of trying to protect feels heavy at times. But that's what we're called to do. To take care of them tenderly and make sure that nothing is going to harm them. And that will mean that as a dad, you're going to make some difficult decisions. You're going to have to make some hard calls. Sometimes that won't be popular in your house. But a godly father is called to do that. To protect. But again, just like building, the psalmist reminds us that though we are called to protect, what does he say? Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards watch in vain. And this could be hard for us dads to hear when we're trying to do our best to protect all that we can to protect our families, our kids. The Bible is saying, unless the Lord is the one watching over, standing guard, our efforts, our worry will be in vain. Some of you dads I know really enjoy the calling to protect. Maybe that's the first calling you enjoy the most. We think about all those, uh, those stories or those jokes, you know, when our, when our daughters bring home their first boyfriends, you know, how we're going to greet them, right? We kind of enjoy this idea of being that protector. That's the calling that we like the most. But men, I want to encourage you today that ultimately our children are in God's hands. They're in God's hands, not ours. And the godly father recognizes that sooner rather than later. That unless the Lord watches over, I fret and I worry in vain. But here's the beautiful thing. If we can adopt these two callings of godly fatherhood, these first two callings, to build with the Lord, to protect with the Lord, then it actually leads us to thrive as parents, to thrive as fathers. And it leads the godly father to this third calling in which he's called to rest and rejoice. Called to rest and rejoice. Look at verse two. It says, in vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Now to a young father, and I'm sure to all of us men and women here, the call to rest 
is simultaneously the best news that we've ever heard and also the most impossible news to hear. How, how do we actually do this? How do I rest? How do I find the time to rest and rest well? But the psalmist is telling us, hey, listen, you're getting up early, you're staying up late, you're grinding, you're grinding, you're not sleeping, but rest is given to those that God loves. And so you need to be doing this. You need to be, see this as a calling of your fatherhood to rest. But how on earth do we do that in the midst of our busyness? In the midst of this complicated world in which we're having to build and protect all the time? Well, the first way may be to remember over and over and over again that everything that we have, everything that we've built and everything that we've protected comes from God. Everything comes from God himself, that he is the one who is graciously building and protecting and providing for us so that you and I, at the end of our long days, can actually put our heads on the pillow and sleep and rest because God is in control. And I know that we all have different habits. Some of us stay up really, really late. I'm a night owl, always stayed up way too late. Some of us work, work, work. We just can't slow down, we can't rest. But the gift of sleep and rest is one of God's great loving gifts to us. It communicates to your own heart, to your family's hearts, and to God himself that you are not in control, that God is in control. And so some of us may need to adjust those habits if we're going to accept this calling to rest. I heard a story this week from someone who used to work as a, uh, a chaplain with sports teams and uh, in this part of the country of course in the spring we have all the major league baseball teams that come down for spring training and in the 80s he would do chaplain work for them and he would speak to the teams and he just loved it. It was kind of the highlight of his year and he would speak to the Yankees and the Orioles and all these different teams and on one day he actually had three different teams he was meeting with and he was just excited and he came home between one of the meetings just for a quick rest to kind of, you know, he was talking about it with his family and his young son at the time came to him and said, Daddy, you have three meetings today. None of them are with me. And he was crushed. Crushed. You see, godly fathers are called to work and to build, but we're called to rest. We're called to slow down enough so that we are present with those that God has given us, with our kids, with our families. It's a big part of what it means to be a dad. And some of us I know really need to hear this today. We need to hear it. And so why, how, how can we understand this more deeply? Why should we rest? First, we have to see that the reason why we rest is because you and I, dads, everyone here, you and I also are God's children. That we have been adopted as his sons and his daughters into his loving family. It starts there. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is from the book of Galatians. And in chapter four, the apostle Paul writes this. I think it gets at this idea of where rest comes from. He says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, 
born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. And right here is where the good news of the gospel message meets us. The bad news tells us that our chief problem is this desire to want to go out and build on our own, apart from God, under our own power. And that brings sin into our lives and into the world, the sin that separates us from God and from one another, the sin that requires God to judge us justly. But the good news of the gospel tells us that at the right time, at the right moment, God sent his son Jesus into the world born under the law, to live the perfect life that we could never live for ourselves so that he could become the perfect sacrifice when he goes to the cross and he's punished in our place. And in the resurrection, he is raised from the dead to new life so that you and I can be adopted sons and daughters into God's eternal family. He is now your father if you believe this is for you dads it has to be first for you and your families it's for all of us that faith in Christ means that you are sons and daughters of God you are his children can you can you rest in that can you deeply believe that that is true for you this morning even when we're struggling as parents, even when life seems to be winning and kind of wearing us down, and even in our worst moments, whether they're in our history or whether these worst moments that we entertain about the future, in those times, can you and I remember that we are God's children? It makes all the difference in the world. I'm gonna share with you a story that I think illustrates how powerful it is to know who you are in the Father's love. Some of you will recognize Stephen Curtis Chapman, one of the great Christian singer-songwriters over the last 30 years. And in 2008, the Chapman family suffered perhaps uh, the worst tragedy you can imagine. Uh, they had six children, three of which they had adopted from other parts of the world, including their youngest daughter, Maria Sue, who they adopted from China, who was five years old. And one day Maria was playing with her siblings on the play set on the side of their house and she saw her older brother who was driving age uh, coming down the street. She was excited to see him and as he pulls into the drive she runs out in excitement and he doesn't see her and she runs into the path of the moving car. And you can imagine the hysteria and confusion that sets in in that moment. This is the worst, the worst you could imagine. And as Stephen ran out and saw what had happened, picked up his daughter and was rushing to his car to rush to the hospital, his son, absolutely inconsolable, just beside himself. In that moment, Stephen had the presence of mind and heart to roll down his window 
and say to his inconsolable son, Will Franklin, your father loves you. Will Franklin, your father loves you. Later, Stephen said that he knew that he couldn't lose two children on that day. This was the worst day of their lives, the worst day of this teenage boy's life. And in that moment, he hears his father say his name and that he loves him. Will Franklin, your father loves you. All of us today, but especially you dads, I want you to hear this. That part of your calling to be a godly father is to rest in who you are. That you are a child of God. And that even in the worst moment of your life, whatever you imagine that to be, your heavenly father calls out your name and says, I love you. You are mine. From that place is where we rest. That's where we rest as godly fathers. And here's what it does. When we actually believe that, that that's true of us, that we are God's children as dads, that we receive that love, it actually leads us to rejoice, to be filled with joy. And I feel like this, I I can say this now as being a dad for a little while now. Dads don't rejoice enough. We don't do the joy thing well often. And even more broadly than that, Christians, I think, don't rejoice enough today. Dads, if you are God's child, and if we're building with the Lord and protecting with the Lord, and if we are resting in who Jesus has made us, what he has done for us, then we need to rejoice and celebrate with our families. We should be full of joy. That's what God has done for us. And when, I feel this very strongly, that when a dad is full of joy, when he's celebrating the good things of his family and his house, everything changes. Every, everyone is encouraged and built up when dad is full of joy. And if I have one kind of pleading encouragement for us today, it's to do that. For you dads to go out as you're celebrated today, but for the rest of our lives that we would be dads that celebrate our families, that build them up, that find the ways, the creative ways, the clever ways to celebrate them. Go above and beyond. Make it a big deal. Whatever it is, celebrate and rejoice in what God has given you. Because God has given you first all of the riches of Christ. And from there, we rejoice and give out just a a little snapshot, a picture of those riches to our families. So today, we celebrate dads, but for a lifetime, a godly father is called to rejoice. And so let's encourage each other with that. But finally, as we close today, a godly father is called to give to God. Can you advance that mic for me? Called to give to God. Look at verse 3 of Psalm 127. It says this, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. 
And this is what I want to leave you with today. After we build and after we protect and after we rest and we rejoice, we give our children back to God. We give them back to God. I love the image the psalmist gives us of this warrior, that children are like arrows on the back of a warrior and the warrior draws back the arrow. And what are arrows meant to do? Fly. Fly towards the target. And the target is the godly life, the good life. That as dads, we do what we can, we let them go and they're on their way, God willing, to loving Jesus, to raising godly families of their own, of following and walking closely with God. But the calling of dads, of godly dads, is to let them go, to give them back to God what he has first given to us. And what that does when we sleep or when we give it back to God is say that he is in control, that we are not, that he ordains our lives and our days. And the godly father comes to see that as part of his calling, to give them back to God. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Wherever you are in the stage of fatherhood or parenthood or wives, I know you struggle with this as well, the giving back to God. Wherever you are, that is the encouragement to take away out of our rest that we are God's children. We give back to God what he has given to us. And so can we rejoice in that this morning? Can you rest in that? Can you do that from the place of knowing that you yourself are God's child. And as we're gonna sing in just a moment, can we sing from the bottom of our hearts just how deep the love of the Father is for us? If you can, then we will be godly fathers and godly parents in this world that is struggling to do that. We'll build, we'll protect, we'll rest and we'll rejoice and we'll give everything back to God what he has deserved. And our families and our lives will be transformed. I truly believe that. Okay? Let's pray this morning. Father in heaven, we give you thanks that we can just get a glimpse today of um, what it means to know you as our heavenly father. Lord, that though we strayed and went on our own trying to build the life that we thought would be best for us, When the time came, you sent your son, Jesus, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, to bring us back to relationship with you as our father. And Lord, now as we think about what it means to be a godly father or a godly mother, godly grandparent, Lord, we are struck by how much of life seems to be out of our control. And yet, God, you call us into that space to trust you. And so would you help us by your spirit to build with you? Would you help us by your spirit to protect with you? Would you help us by your spirit to rest and rejoice to celebrate? And would you help us by your spirit to give everything back to you? We do that. (coughs) In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.